we're going to turn our attention now to God's special revelation, uh, God's specific revelation, and that is the Word of God. And so Mark 14, verses 66 through 72 uh, is going to be our text this morning. Mark 14, verses 66 through 72. The heading in the ESV Bible is Peter denies Jesus. I think this is a familiar story for many of us. Mark 14, verses 66 through 72. Your Bibles are open. Hear then the holy, inspired, authoritative, and inerrant Word of God read for you now. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down, and he wept. Thus far, the reading of God's own word. Let's pray together. Our great and awesome God, we praise you this morning for your precious word by which you reveal yourself and your will to us. By your word, we pray that you would give us what we stand in need of this day to make us all the more ready and willing to serve you in the week ahead. These things we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Dear congregation, one of our most basic and fundamental duties in life, perhaps we could say the most basic and fundamental duty in life, is to confess Christ. Matthew 10, 32 says, So everyone who confesses me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Right? So Jesus says, you confess me before men, I'll confess you and acknowledge you before the Father. You deny me before men, I'm going to deny you before the Father. The most, the most basic and fundamental duty we have in this life is to confess Christ. And not just on Sunday, but every day. Not just in our homes, but, but out in the world as well. Not just in our hearts, but in our words and in our actions too. We are called to confess 
the name of Jesus. We are called to continually say, I know him, I trust him, I love him, I serve him. Of course, for for, for sinners like us, this is easier said than done. Because the temptation we often face is to deny him. The temptation we often face is to, is to act or pretend like we don't know him. I, I personally, to be flat out honest with you, feel this pull and temptation. Whenever I'm in a restaurant and my food comes and it's time to bow my head in prayer, I think to myself, how much easier would it be to just skip this, right? And so I don't have people looking at me funny. I, I feel that in my own life in that moment. Of course, we feel it to greater degrees in other areas. This morning in our text, this is exactly what Peter does, isn't it? In our text, Peter denies our Lord. And not just once, not just twice, but three times. Three times Peter denies knowing Jesus. Three times Peter says, I, I, don't, I don't know this man of whom you are speaking. And be assured, Christian, be assured, if Peter, the leader of the apostles, can deny Christ, so can you. So can you. And when we understand this about ourselves, then Peter's story here, it's, it's meant to help us take necessary precautions in our own lives and in our own walk with the Lord in order that we who are, who are called to ever and always confess our Lord might not do the very thing Peter did, that deny him. And so our theme this morning is, is this, Peter denies our Lord. And as we turn our eyes to the text, I want us to notice first when it is that Peter denied our Lord. When it is that Peter denied our Lord. We actually have to go back a few verses to verse 54. We remember that the story of Peter's denial actually began in the previous passage, the one that we looked at together last week. Uh, But if you scan up in your Bible to the previous passage, beginning at verse 53, just listen to what we read. And they led Jesus to the high priest... And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. Then Mark inserted this detail. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now Mark does not come back to the story of Peter until here in verse 66. But he inserts that detail about Peter in verse 54 to show us that Peter denied our Lord at the very time our Lord Jesus was confessing the truth about himself, okay? Mark, Mark wants us to know that the stories uh, in verses 53 to 72, first about Jesus and then about Peter, these, these stories are happening at the same time. Jesus is confessing the truth about himself before the Sanhedrin at the same time that Peter is denying him in the courtyard. 
And so we, we look back at verse 54, and we see when it is that Peter denied our Lord. Peter denied our Lord when he followed him at a distance. He denied our Lord when he followed him at a distance. Peter here, he is trying to play it safe in his relationship with Jesus. Remember, he and the rest of the disciples, they, they hightailed it away from Jesus when, when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. They all left him and fled, Mark told us. And yet Peter must have realized somewhere along the way what he had done. And to his credit, he's not quite yet ready to completely abandon his Lord. And so somewhere along the way, uh, somewhere from when Jesus was arrested in the garden and brought into uh, the high priest's chambers, somewhere in there, Peter began again to follow Jesus. But he's following at a distance. And Peter here is in that place that many try and live the Christian life. He, he wants to be close enough to Jesus to perhaps feel good about himself, or at least not feel terrible about himself, but not so close, you know, that he might be forced to actually suffer with Jesus or for Jesus. He, he's following Jesus at a distance. He's, he's practicing what we might call safe Christianity or Christianity without a cost. He wants to have Jesus without the shame and reproach that, in this case, would certainly be associated with it. So Peter denied our Lord when he followed him at a distance. And no doubt, right, whenever we try and do the same, whenever we try and follow our Lord at a distance, we, we are well on our way to denying him. We are well on our way to telling the first person who asks, uh, I don't know him. I've never seen him before in my life. Who is this, this man you are speaking of? Okay, those, who, those who, like Peter, follow Christ at a distance, they are, they are well on their way to denying him. Those who follow Christ in such a way so, so as to try and hide it from others, they are well on their way to denying him. Let me ask you, is that, is that you? Are you, this day, following Christ at a distance? Are you, this day, following Christ in such a way that, you know, you can say to yourself, I am a follower of Christ, while saying to the world, I don't know this man. Learn from Peter, my friend. If you're following Christ at a distance, you're on dangerous ground. If you haven't already done so, then certainly you're on the verge of doing so, denying the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, this, let's notice where Peter denied our Lord. Once again, we see it in verse 54. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire, and then we move down to verse 66, and this is where we picked up at our, at our reading, right? And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and asked, you also were with Jesus, the Nazarene. So we look at verse 54 and verses 66 through 67, and we see where it is, don't we, that Peter denied our Lord. He denied our Lord in the courtyard of the high priest, but even more specifically than that, we can say that he denied our Lord in the company of our Lord's 
enemies. He's sitting with the guards and with the high priest's servant girl. The very high priest who has just, in verse 63, tore his clothes and accused Jesus of blasphemy. Peter's denial happens in the company of Christ's enemies. There's a reason that David says in Psalm 26, I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of the evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. There's a reason that Solomon says in Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. There's a reason that the Apostle Paul instructs the Christians in Corinth not to be yoked with unbelievers. And then goes on to state at the end of that letter to the Corinthians that bad company corrupts good character. The fact of the matter is, beloved, God's Word is clear about this. If you spend time in the company of Christ's enemies, warming yourself beside them at the fire, you are well on your way to denying our Lord. This is why, moms and dads, one of the things that you ought to be praying for, for your children, is that God will surround them with people who love Him. That has become one of my, um, probably my number one prayer request for my own children, honestly. Yes, I I pray for their safety, I pray for their well-being, but more than that, I pray that God will put godly people in the lives of my children. I pray that God will surround my children with people who love Him and who want to serve Him and who can encourage my children in their faith and who will help my children confess Jesus as Lord. That is, I guarantee it, my number one prayer request for my children. And specifically for my daughter, who is almost 11, that God will give her a man who loves Jesus and who can help her confess Jesus. Peter denied our Lord in the presence of Christ's enemies. And once again, I say to you, Christian, learn from Peter. If you are spending lots of time in the presence of Christ's enemies, warming yourself alongside of them at the fire, trying to blend in with them in the dark of night, you are on dangerous ground. You are well on your way to denying our Lord. Third, let's consider why Peter denied our Lord. We, we, we don't have an x-ray into Peter's soul here. We don't know what the emotions are that he's experiencing here. Uh, I think we can assume that the immediate emotion Peter is feeling in all of this is fear. Uh, Peter is afraid of what might happen to him if he's found out. And yet Mark, Mark 14 certainly gives us another reason why Peter denied our Lord. It's a greater reason, it's a more fundamental reason, and it's pride. Pride. Peter's pride has been on full display in this 14th chapter of Mark. 
Remember what Peter said. You look up at verse uh, 28 and 29. Uh, Jesus, Jesus um, uh, predicted that all of the disciples would fall away. And Peter, Peter says, even if all fall away, I will not. And that's a very interesting answer. Because Peter clearly doubts the ability of his fellow disciples to stay with Jesus, but he does not doubt his own ability to stay with Jesus, does he? Even if all fall away, Jesus, them guys might. We don't, these guys, we don't know about these guys. I will not. And then Jesus looks at Peter, verses 29 and 30. And, and Jesus says, Peter, not only will you fall away, but this very night... For the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Even then, Peter, Peter wouldn't have anything to do with it, would he? Mark tells us in verse 30 that Peter, he insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will never disown you. And then from here we go into the garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus gets to the garden and he leaves eight of his disciples at the entrance to the garden and he takes three disciples with him further into the garden. And those three disciples are Peter, James, and John. He then tells those disciples to, to stay here and to keep watch. And we're told, Jesus, he goes a little farther and he falls down and he prays in great sorrow and in great anguish. And then he comes back, right, to those three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he finds the three of them sleeping. And yet what's interesting, they're all sleeping, but what's interesting is that Jesus goes on to specifically call out Peter, doesn't he? Look at verse 37, if your Bibles are still open. Simon, that's Peter, right? Simon, are you asleep? They're all asleep, but he calls out Peter. And then he seems to tell Peter specifically to watch and to pray so that he does not fall into temptation. Of course, this whole thing happens two more times, doesn't it? Jesus withdraws to pray. He comes back and finds them sleeping. He withdraws to pray. He comes back and he finds them sleeping. Now, what we need to understand is this, right? This prayerlessness on the part of Peter, it's simply a manifestation of his pride. That's what prayerlessness is, okay? It's a manifestation of pride. Kevin DeYoung is correct. The quote was in our bulletin last week. To start the day without prayer is to suggest that the devil is feeble, God is irrelevant, and we can handle things on our own. That's what we're saying when we're prayerless. Don't worry, God, I got this. I can handle this. Prayerlessness is a manifestation of pride. When Peter slept rather than prayed in the garden, he did so because deep down he believed he could handle all of this on his own. Deep down he believed he didn't really need God to get him through this ordeal. Deep down he believed even if they all fall away, Jesus, I never will. Don't you worry about me. And so we come now to verses 66 through 72. And we see Peter's threefold denial of our Lord, and we must realize that what happens here in these verses, it doesn't come out of nowhere. No, in a sense, all of chapter 14 has been building up to this moment. Peter denies the Lord Jesus here, ultimately, because he was proud and prayerless. So Christian, let me ask, do you, do you want to confess Christ faithfully? 
Do you want to confess Christ no matter what? Do you want to confess Christ, whether it brings you glory or shame? Do you want to confess Christ, whether it brings you comfort or suffering? Do you want to confess Christ in the presence of both His friends and His enemies? Well, if so, then do not be proud and prayerless. Be humble. Be dependent. Ask God for help. Jesus taught us nothing less. In the Lord's Prayer, what did He tell us to say? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The catechism explains what we mean when we make that request, right? What do we mean when we ask God to deliver us from temptation or lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil? What what do we mean by that, the catechism asks? And it says when we make that request, we are acknowledging that by ourselves we are too weak to hold our own even for a moment and that our sworn enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they never stop attacking us. And we're asking the Lord then, in light of these truths, that we are weak, that our enemies are strong, we're asking the Lord to uphold us and to make us strong in the strength of His Holy Spirit so that we may not go down in defeat in this spiritual struggle. When we make this request, when we say, when we say Lord, uh, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. We're we're acknowledging that we cannot remain faithful to Christ in our own strength. We don't have the ability. We're too weak. Our enemies are too strong. We're simply saying, Lord, we need your help to be faithful. We need your help to continue confessing Christ and to continue serving Christ. And so pray. Pray daily for God's help. Pray daily that God will lead you not into temptation and deliver you from evil. Ask God when you pray not just to forgive your sins, but also to to keep you from sin. Peter denied our Lord because he was proud and prayerless. Don't be proud and prayerless. Be humble. Be dependent. Recognize your need daily for God's help. In confessing Jesus Christ. Fourth, notice before whom Peter denies our Lord. Notice before whom Peter denies our Lord. Peter does not deny our Lord before the Sanhedrin. Jesus is the one who is on trial before the Sanhedrin. Peter here is not on trial before the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. Nor is Peter on trial before anyone else of any significance. No, as we look at our text, we see that Peter denies our Lord first before a lowly servant girl. 66 and 67, it's a servant girl who sees Peter warming himself at the fire and says, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. And it's to this servant girl that Peter says, I neither know nor understand what you mean in verse 68. Now, yes, she was a, she was a servant girl of the high priest. She was the servant girl of a man with lots of power in Jerusalem. But she was still a servant girl. And the Greek word there indicates that this servant girl was just that. She was a girl. She was a girl. Okay, this, is, this, this servant girl, she's, she's no one very terrifying. She's not someone with lots of power. 
She, she has no power, standing, or significance whatsoever. And yet, and yet it's, it's before her. It's to her that Peter says, I, I don't know the man. And then after he, he denies our Lord once, before the servant girl, we're told he would draw some distance away. He goes and he stands in the gateway. And sometime later, this servant girl, or it could even be another servant girl, uh, sees him again. And she begins to say to the bystanders, that man, that man is one of them. And again, Peter denies it. Probably said something like, that girl doesn't, she's just a girl, she don't know what she's talking about. And then we're told that after a little while longer, I think it's Luke who says it's an hour. Right? So they're not, they're not hot after Peter here. Right? He's not on trial. These are just people sort of ridiculing him. Uh, but, but, but after a little while longer, one of the bystanders speaks up and says, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Okay, Peter had a Galilean accent. These bystanders heard him speak. They heard him deny the Lord Jesus. They recognized his accent. And one of these bystanders, after thinking about it for some time, he started connecting the dots and said, well, yeah, yeah you must be with this Jesus. You must be one of his followers. Your accent gives you away. By this point, Peter's beside himself and We're told in verse 71 that he denies our Lord Jesus in the strongest way possible. He begins to invoke curses upon himself and swear. It's probably not using profanity uh, there, but but he's he's saying something like, I swear on the Lord's name I don't know this man, or or God help me if if I know the man you're speaking of. That's probably what verse 71 means. But 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 just notice, who is it? That Peter denies our Lord to. Well, it's a lowly servant girl, and it's unnamed bystanders. Now, these bystanders might be Roman soldiers, judging by verse 54. But the point Mark is making here is that none of these people are very significant. None of these people have power to do anything to Peter. None of them have power to arrest him. None of them have power to condemn him. They're nobodies. They're they're simply servants of others. And yet aren't these, aren't these the people, the very people whom we too often deny our Lord in front of? Aren't these the people before whom we often let our spiritual guard down? I heard a story this week about a man many, many years ago when he was just a boy, made a delivery to a farm. Something happened. Not sure what. The farmer was upset. The farmer cursed that boy up and down and up and down again. The boy knew that this man was a church-going man. When he got home, he said to his parents, how can that man sit on church on Sunday and talk to me like that on Monday? That cursing man, he denied his Lord that morning. Not before a king with his life on the line, but before an impressionable and insignificant young man who to this day hadn't forgot it. Don't miss who Peter denies our Lord in front of. It's not just in the presence of kings and governors and powerful people that will be tempted to deny our Lord. No, it's also in the presence of servant girls and nameless bystanders whom we encounter every day of our lives. Finally, we must notice what happens after Peter denies our Lord. 
In verse 71, Peter denies our Lord for a third time in the strongest way imaginable. And then in Mark writes in verse 72, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Peter has failed miserably. Peter has denied the Lord whom he was called to profess. And not once, not twice, but three times. It's a tragic story. And in one sense, it only contributes to Christ's suffering in these last hours of his life. I mean, it's one thing to see your friends run away from you in your time of need. That hurts bad enough. But it's another thing entirely to hear maybe your closest friend say on three occasions, I don't know him. I'm not with him. With each passing denial, no doubt, our Lord only plunges deeper and deeper into his suffering for our sins. It's a tragic story. And yet there is something, I think, quite marvelous about this story as well. We really only see it when we zoom out and when we look at what, what comes after this story in Scripture. Peter here, he, he falls flat on his face. Peter here does everything in his power to make a complete shipwreck of his faith. Peter here, for all intents and purposes, let go, lets go of his Lord. And yet it's clear from what follows that Peter's Lord never lets go of him. No, already here in our story, we see Christ's mercy at work in Peter's life. The rooster crows, Peter remembers, and he's brought under the conviction of his sin. He, he, he breaks down and he weeps and, he, and he, he, he recognizes what he's done. He recognizes how he's failed his Lord. He, he, in this moment, no doubt, becomes aware of his desperate need for mercy and for grace. Well, Jesus goes to the cross. We'll read about that in chapter 15. He dies on the cross. He's laid in the tomb. And then we turn to Mark 16. And if your Bibles are open, it's just one page over if you're using the Pew Bible. Turn to Mark 16, we read the story of Jesus' resurrection. And the women, they come to the tomb, and they're greeted by an angel. The angel tells them that Jesus is not here, Jesus is risen. Look what the angel says to the women in Mark 16, verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. Peter is singled out. Why is Peter singled out? Jesus want to give Peter what he's got coming? Oh boy, I can't wait to talk to Peter. I can't wait to tell Peter that I was right and that he was wrong. I can't wait to, to remind him how he failed. Is that what Jesus wants? Well, we find out exactly what Jesus wants in John 21. We know that's not what Jesus wants, but if you turn to John 21, you don't have to. You can listen along. But in John 21, we read about the resurrected Jesus' meeting with the disciples in Galilee. And in John 21, verses 15 through 19 specifically, we read about his meeting with Peter. And in this meeting, Jesus asked Peter, not once, not twice, 
But three times, one time for every denial, he asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter each time says, says you know I love you. you. You know I love you. Now Jesus could have said, then why'd you deny me? But he doesn't. Jesus says, okay, feed my sheep and follow me. There in Galilee, Peter receives mercy, and Peter receives grace, and Peter receives forgiveness from his crucified and risen Lord. Yes, Peter, Peter fails miserably. He fails miserably. He fails tragically. If it's up to Peter, it's game over. Peter and Judas are synonyms. They're the same character. But Christ would not let Peter's soul be lost. Christ would not let Peter suffer the same fate as Judas. And he rose from the dead and he came coming for Peter in mercy and in grace. And isn't our story the same? How many of us haven't found ourselves in Peter's place? How many of us haven't heard the rooster crow and recognized then and there the way in which we failed our Lord? How many of us haven't broke down and wept for our sins, overwhelmed by our tragic failures in our miserable, sinful condition? I have more times than I can even count. And yet here we are, on the other side, Sitting in God's house together, confessing Christ as our Lord and Savior. Why? Is it because we sort of, you know, figured it out? We got our ducks in a row? No! It's because Christ wouldn't let our souls be lost. It's because no matter how hard we tried to let go of Him, He wouldn't let go of us. And he kept and he continues to come for us again and again and again in grace and in mercy and in forgiveness. That's our Savior. He is, he, he, he is ever merciful. He is ever forgiving. He is ever patient with his weak and frail and erring people. Of course, we ought to recognize, I think, that, that, that not long after Peter receives this grace by the Sea of Galilee in John 21, he who denied our Lord before the unnamed bystanders is confessing our Lord before the very people who crucified him in Acts 2. And then shortly after that, in Acts 4, he who denied our Lord before the high priest's servant girl is confessing the Lord Jesus before the high priest himself. And we might ask, what happened, Peter? To go from being such a coward to so courageous for the name of Jesus. I'll tell you what happened. Grace happened. Grace happened. And that's the effect that grace ought to have on the lives of God's people. Grace makes us confessors of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more and more we come to grips with God's grace, the more and more we find ourselves able to confess the Lord Jesus in our lives. In 1 John 2, 1, the apostle says this, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. 
But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I think those two verses in John 2, uh, the beginning of John 2, summarize well what we've learned this morning through the story of Peter's denial of our Lord. In one case, this story is, or in one sense, this story is written so that, we, so that we may not sin, right? This story is written so that we might take the necessary precautions in our lives to ensure that we will ever and always confess Christ as we're called to. And yet, we also learn here that if anyone does sin, if anyone finds that they have denied their Lord as Peter found... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That means He died the death we deserve. His his blood paid for Peter's sins and for your sins and for my sins to such an extent that, that we can be honest about our sins. We don't have to pretend that our sins don't exist. The Bible, the Bible doesn't have to try and cover up Peter's story. Why not? Because the Bible declares that there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. Christian, you are called to confess Christ. You have been anointed to confess Christ, not just on Sunday, but every day of the week. Not just in your home, but out in the world as well. Not just in your heart, but in your words and in your actions too. You are called to confess the name of Jesus. You are called to continually say, I know Him, I trust Him, I love Him, I serve Him. May God help you, and may God help me do this boldly and courageously, and consistently in the days ahead. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace. Your grace which enables us to be honest about our sins, even as it enabled Peter to be honest about his sins. Father, we thank you for Jesus, whose blood cleanses us from all of our sins. Help us to know and understand the grace that you've shown us in him more and more, that we might confess you every moment of every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
parting blessing from the last verses of Jude. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen.